if you make a, a good product, everything else kind of falls into place after that. Welcome to the Lush Life Podcast. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, and I bring you the how-to guide for living life one cocktail at a time. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by cocktails ever since. Together, we'll learn from bartenders, brand ambassadors, distillers, and others why certain drinks are popular in certain cultures, how to make the perfect old-fashioned, when to shake and when to stir, and so much more. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let the fun begin. Our guest today always loved the stories. That's why he went in for a degree in history. Now Pete Garraway, brand ambassador of Starward Whiskey, spends his days telling one particular story of why you should be drinking Australian whiskey. It's not hard to convince them once they've had a sip of the award-winning whiskey born and bred in Australia. He joins us today to tell us his story, having just returned from Singapore, a place that brought back all sorts of memories for him. I was quite lucky really uh, growing up. My, my dad was in the army, so I moved around all over the world when I was a kid. Uh, I think I was born in, uh, born in England, but moved to Germany when I was about six months old. Um, was there for, for a couple of years, then moved to Belgium for a few years, um, then went out to Hong Kong for a few years, and then back to Germany uh, before moving back to the UK. So I guess by the time I was 10 or 11, um, I'd been lucky enough to uh, experience so many different cultures and uh, go to loads of different countries and things. And obviously that wasn't quite the start of my uh, drinking journey, but um, you know, certainly food was an interesting thing growing up. Um, How old were you, say, say in Hong Kong? Uh, I, th- I was about um, six, seven. Okay, so in, still quite young. Where so do you remember? Yeah. Like, what is your first recollection? Um, I was actually, uh, it was just over in Singapore last week, actually, and, and the rain started coming down. And uh, I said to uh, to my girlfriend, oh, this reminds me of, of living in Hong Kong, because when the rain came down like this in Hong Kong, I used to run up into the hills, into the monsoon drains and chase snakes. Uh, she just looked at me and said, oh, wow, that, that sounds safe. And, uh, intri- <laughs> I kind of think it sounds romantic. So that's one of my memories, but yeah, absolutely just uh, going down and, um, uh, Fried rice was my was my big thing. Uh, there. They called it uh, chow fam mm. was, was the dish that, that we always used to go and eat. So that's a, an abiding memory of, uh, of living over there as well. And just uh, just the smells you get, so, you know, all the spices and, uh, and everything that, that that comes across on there. Uh, and of and course, Germany is completely different. Though. Yeah, hugely, hugely. And uh, you know, I was at a, a, an army school as well when we moved around. So you had kids from from all over the world, all mm. different nationalities, all, all, all sort of thrown together into. Uh, in, in, to these schools and yeah Germany was uh was actually yeah we, we were living over there when the Berlin Berlin Wall came down uh so I remember uh, you know my dad taking me up to uh to Berlin just a few weeks after the wall had come down and we were there chipping away with a hammer and chisel oh, um uh bringing bringing down bits of the wall and you know these sort of uh these German policemen stood there with their with their guns looking at us and thought you know a few weeks ago this would have been very different but yeah so some amazing experiences growing up and so where did you then end up, say, your teenage years? Yeah, so I moved back to, back to the UK and um, I guess my sort of uh, 
real passion for, for spirit started when I was at uni up in, up in Leeds and uh, a bit like quite a few people, I guess, you know, got a, got a bar job to, uh, to pay the bills whilst, whilst I was at uni and, you know, was fortunate enough to work with some, uh, um, some pretty amazing guys. And I rapidly realized that I was a, a terrible bartender, <laughs> but, um, but really loved the stories behind, uh, uh, behind spirits in particular, but, you know, just, uh, just, uh, the uh, drinks industry in general and you know we used to get guys coming in but similar to what I do now really and you know coming in and telling us the stories of, of their range of, uh, of drinks and uh, so yeah after that I, I sort of moved down to London and uh, and got into the drinks industry. But why do you think during your university you were um, you were attracted by a bar job as opposed to any other job? Yeah good, good question I guess my, my first ever um, uh, job I suppose was uh, was flipping burgers um, in a halfway house on, on a golf course. Um, so I've always worked in, in hospitality over the years, you know, um, right down to, to that. And I remember, you know, sitting there uh, making bacon sandwiches for guys uh, as they came in and just just wanting to be in the in the real clubhouse working behind the bar I thought that was where they where all the all the fun was and you know I, I graduated to that after which we know it is where all the fun exactly, is exactly right? exactly um, and you know when you're um, serving drinks for guys especially in a in a sort of golf club environment was quite interesting because you got members coming in who you know they'd want their their specific pint in their specific glass you know some people had it in a in a jug or some people had it in uh, in a tulip glass or whatever it might be and you had to remember because if you ever served these guys the the wrong beer in the wrong glass you know they'd they'd be letting you know about it and uh, uh but yeah, any but whiskey drinkers a few yeah i mean um i guess uh well we'll, we'll touch on it a bit but you know growing up whiskey was always sort of you know very much uh, a, a a man's drink an older man's drink mm. uh, probably as well you know people drank it neat and and sat there and and sipped it and were very specific again about the particular whiskeys mm-hmm. that, that, that they would have and uh, you know i think luckily things have things have changed on that front a little bit yes uh, absolutely from a bourbon drinker mm. um now when you were at leeds what, what did what were you studying I was studying history, um, so again, I guess I've always had a, a bit of a passion for uh, for a story, mm-hmm. or uh, uh, or you know, knowing uh, where things came from and and, and how things have developed. Um, but so, how did you start? Like, you graduated, you had this history degree. Yeah. You kind of knew that you wanted to do something in spirits. Yeah. Where do you a, go for? I was a bit of a go a, from there. A lost soul, I suppose, for it for for a while. I was just sort of you know working in bars, trying to um, trying to work out w- what I wanted to do, and um, uh, hopping around bet- between a couple of jobs. And um, I guess my first uh, proper job in, in in the drinks industry was with Heineken uh, or Scottish Newcastle, as it was back then. Um, so I was um, doing new business contracts for them uh, down in down in London. Um, and that was really interesting because you dealt with everybody from uh, a, a working men's club down in, in, in South East London right to uh, a, a private members club in Mayfair. So again, you got to uh, meet so many different types of people, uh, see so many different types of drinkers as well and, and have to work out, you know, how do you, um, how do you pitch for a, a particular person's uh, taste or, or, you know, what, what they're into. Especially using the same liquid. Yeah, exactly. You know, such different people drinking yeah. the same thing. Yeah. You would think that they would have a lot in common. You yeah, know? absolutely. You absolutely. could tell them the same story. Tell them the but... same story in a slightly different way, uh-huh. put, a, put a different twist on it. And, uh, you know, there's always, there's always, you know, somebody's going to find some part of it interesting. And, you know, whether it's, uh, you, that, that's, the, that's the key, I guess, is finding the, uh, the part of the story that people are, get excited about. Mm-hmm. So after beer, 
you know, you could have continued into beer, but then... Yeah, well, I actually... Uh, <laughs> Um, I, I love that you laugh. Yeah, yeah, this is. Uh, I, I can laugh. <laughs> trip down now. memory lane. A trip down memory lane, absolutely, absolutely. I, I moved on from Heineken on a. Um, yeah, I, I went to set up a, a set up a business of my own with um, somebody who, uh, who who was a friend of mine. Let's put it that way. And mm. um, haven't we all done that? Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. I rapidly learned that he maybe wasn't as good a friend as as I thought he was. And mm. yeah, a, a couple of years later, I was. Uh, you know, um, not unable to pay the rent and, no uh, and and just staring down the barrel of uh, you know how, uh, having to, to think of what. what Hopefully, was, a barrel uh, of whiskey, not yeah, a barrel well, of anything absolutely. else. <laughs> That's when you know whiskey's always been my friend in, in those sorts of scenarios. There's uh, very few things that a, a, a decent bottle of whiskey won't uh, won't make better. Um, but yeah, fortunately, a, a very good friend of mine was working at Fentimans at the time, and I bumped into him at uh, at a dinner. He said, "Look, you know, we don't have anybody." Um, uh, in London at the moment, we're looking for somebody, and uh, <laughs> just kind of grabbed him by the shoulders and take me, take me, I'll do it, please. Um, and yeah, went to went went to work with them. Now, Fentimins yeah. is non-alcoholic. Absolutely, right? Absolutely, uh, and that's what I thought. I thought it's going to be a, a a nice move for me. I'll move into the non-alcoholic world, and this will surely be healthier. Um, but actually, with the way the, the the mixer industry has has moved on in the last sort of you know, five years, um, it was a great place to be because you got to spend all the time with all the different categories, whether it's, you know, mezcal, tequila guys, mm. whiskey guys, uh, gin guys, obviously. Um, so I got to go around with all these all these amazing brands and uh, see people coming up with unique serves and different flavor profiles. And uh, again, so it took me back. That's when I kind of rediscovered my passion for spirits, I guess. Mm -hmm. I sort of uh, remembered what was so, so amazing. that Through Fentimins. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I'm allergic to artificial sweeteners. So when I go for a PIMS, okay. I rely on Fentimins, cloud, you know, the lemonade. Excellent. To be yeah, the bar. Yeah. The yeah. Absolutely. And if they don't have it, then I can't really have the PIMS. Okay. Because artificial sweetener is in a lot of lemonade. Yeah, 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 yeah. sure. Yeah. So Fentimins has always been my friend. Oh, good. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, great company and amazing products. And, uh, you know, Eldon Robson, who, who, who started that business, um, it was all about the flavor. And that was his, his big passion and uh, something I certainly took away from, from working for those guys was mm -hmm. if you make a, a good product, everything else kind of falls into place after that. You know, focus on, on making the best thing you possibly can um, and worry about everything else later. Mm -hmm. And so what drew you away from there? Um, Axiom Brands, I guess. So uh, yeah, Ian and Catherine, who uh, who set up Axiom Brands, I've I've known them for a while. They um, started with uh, Belsazar Vermouth was their sort of first um, first product. So with the Vermouth and tonic serves, they were sort of the first people who were really pushing uh, pushing that and getting people to uh, to, to go onto Vermouth and tonic. So um, being working for Fentimans, I, I I met them through that and recognised that you know there were two people who have a huge passion for the industry, um, massive, massive drive, um, uh, amazing work commitment. And, uh, you know, when they called me up back end of last year and, uh, and said, look, we've um, probably bringing on a, a new brand. It's something quite exciting. Would you be interested? Um, I almost didn't need to uh, hear what the brand was before I, uh, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely interested. And then, you know, when they, when they told me it was Starwood and um, put me in touch with David Vitali, um, founder there, and um, had a bit of a chat with him. I kind of, it was a difficult, very difficult decision, you know, because I was very much enjoying my time at Fentimans. It was a, a, it was a great company and, and great people to work, uh, work with. But um, yeah, sort of when, when opportunities like this come along, 
and you take them. And it was spirits. Yes, exactly. It was spirits. spirits. It was whiskey, whiskey, which had been your friend, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was, uh, um, you know, trying to play devil's advocate a little bit and, and sat down with my uh, my girlfriend at the time and, you know, we were weighing up the different options um, uh, of what I should do. And I just remember her looking me in the eye and going, Pete, a whiskey company has just offered you a job. Let's stop kidding ourselves. We both know what you're going to do here. And, uh, you know, we just had a laugh and said, yeah, absolutely. So what has your relationship with whiskey been? Um, to be honest, you know, um, I, a bit like everybody else, I thought whiskey was always sort of, uh, an after dinner drink or, um, you know, I remember a, a few times at, at university, it got me through some, some difficult times. I think Laphroaig was the first whiskey I really fell in love with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit like, I remember the first time I ever had a, um, a, a sour beer as well. It's just one of those products that, that you drink and go, wow, you know, what is this? Um, uh, what, what's different? But I think because of how whiskey's made, um, it's got a story. And regardless mm-hmm. of what the distillery is, um, you can always uh, learn uh, uh, about the, before you even get on to trying the liquid, there's so much to hear about the, um, how, how the whiskey's being created, what grains are used, what barrels are used. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, obviously with some of the, the Scottish distilleries that have been going for a long, long time, the, the, the history behind it all really drew me to whiskey more than, more than maybe other spirits. Mm-hmm. And it's very rare someone creates a whole new history for a whole new country making, Absolutely. you know, a drink that is associated really with such a specific place in the UK, yeah. you know? So, um, so when you, you got the job, did you have, you have to, I assume, go down to Australia and yeah. see, you know, what made this specifically Australian? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that, I remember actually asking uh, David that question when I went, I went to the distillery and you know, I said, oh, I guess I'm going to have to learn a lot more about the Australian whiskey mar- market in general. And, uh, and he said, you know what, mate, it's, it's not even really about that. We just make amazing whiskey. So, <laughs> See, I've had my hands laughed. It's yeah. not about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. It's like lesson one from, uh-huh. uh, from David Vitali. Uh, and you're like, well, I need a story. Yeah. I'm a brand ambassador. I need a story. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh. Um, but it was great to see. I mean, you know, that's uh, going back to the, the sort of story of, of why, um, why David started Starwood. He walked into the... Uh, the Lark Distillery, which is um, down in Tasmania, as um, Bill Lark being sort of the, the godfather of Australian spirits, if you like. He was the first guy to get a get a distilling license. Um, How long ago was Australia. that? Um, that was 1992, I think, mm. that, that Bill started um, at the distillery, and uh, and David was uh, so was relatively recently. And, absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's sort of this. Um, he had to fight the government a little bit like the Sipsmith story over here. Uh-huh. There were uh, rules and regulations about the size of the stills that, that, that you had to have to get a distilling license. And uh, it wasn't until, um, as the story goes, Bill was you know, on, a, on a fly fishing trip with a, with a friend drinking a bottle of scotch and thought, you know, why aren't we making whiskey in this mm. country anymore, especially down in Tasmania. Um, uh, and so he, he lobbied the government to change the rules on, uh, on, the, on the still sizes and set up the Lark Distillery and, uh, and kind of, the rest is history, I guess. So, well, although you know, you say that, but over here, you know, still people do look at you with a bit of a quizzical Australian whiskey. Are you sure, really? And uh, you know, there's uh, uh, over thirty distilleries, I think, now down in down in Tasmania, and uh, you know, it's it's reached onto the mainland now as mm. as people are starting to explore a lot more um, with the craft world. But yeah, uh, sort of David was originally a a craft beer lover. Um, he was, you know, a bit of home brewing, and uh, his his idea was to um, start a an organic brewery down in Tasmania. Um, 
but being the ambitious man that, that, that he is, he always, uh, he wanted to make a, a distinctly Australian brand, a uniquely Australian brand that he could take out to the world. Um, it was never his ambition to have a, 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 a little business. It was always to, to, to take it global. So he realized quite quickly that good beer doesn't travel too well. So it was, uh, a friend of his that um, sort of tapped him on the shoulder down in Tasmania and said, I think I might have something for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll introduce you to uh, to my friend Bill. And I'm sure David uh, didn't realise what he was walking into, but he went to meet Bill Lark and walked into the, the Lark Distillery and saw this um, amazing uh, place and, and suddenly realised that there's a there was a craft whiskey world as much as there was a, a, a craft mm-hmm. beer world. Fell in love with, uh, with the idea of it, started working for the Lark Distillery uh, worked there for a few years before um, moving back to Melbourne, where he's from. Very, mm-hmm. uh, very proud of uh, of being from Melbourne and started Starwood over there. And let's say you keep bringing up, you know, distinctly Australian, Australian, Australian. Um, so what makes this so Australian? Yeah, well, that was very important um, for David when he was starting the business because mm-hmm. some of the early Australian whiskies would have things on the label like Australian whiskey made in the finest of Scottish traditions. And David thought, you know what, if I'm going to drink something in the finest of Scottish traditions, there's a uh, little place called Scotland that's already doing that pretty well. Um, and he thought, you know, if, if we're going to get people to drink Australian whiskey, we need to give them a reason. We need to have a reason to exist on mm-hmm. a back bar alongside you know, Scotch, Irish, American. They're already making amazing whiskies. Right. Um, why are people going to, going to drink Australian? Um, so initially, you know, he was going to use bourbon casks just like uh, um, like 95% of the whiskies uh, mm-hmm. around the world do and we've actually just launched our uh, bourbon cask release so that's yeah. quite fun trying that and thinking you know what what might have been um, but he rapidly realized you know why are we bringing ex bourbon barrels from the other side of the world all the way to Australia when we have some of the best wineries in the world mm-hmm. right on our doorstep um, and there are very few distilleries in the world um, that are, are lucky enough to have all of the ingredients they need to be making amazing whiskey mm. within a day's drive of the distillery. So regardless of where whiskey is actually distilled, you know, people will import grain from different countries, they'll mm. import barrels from different countries. Um, you know, we're lucky enough to have um, 100% Australian um, barley all within a day's drive of the distillery. Mm-hmm. And as I said, some of the best wineries in the world right there on our doorsteps so were able to work very closely with, uh, with wineries and source these barrels. And that really gives us, David's very fond of saying, you know, actually, when you think about it, Starwood is more Australian than Scotch is Scottish because all of the uh, all of the produce is, is right there on our doorstep. Them's fighting's words. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> but, he, he, said, he, said, he said that in Glasgow once and it didn't go down very well. Right um, so you've got, but, you know, you guys make, a, or you, I'm saying you as Australians, even though you're not Australian. <laughs> all right. Um, you do a lot of different kinds of wines. You know, where do you start? Do you... You know, there's, there's. Yeah, I mean, good, good there's question. There's a lot of different grapes down there. Yeah, absolutely. Know? I mean, we started with um, with a Perra, uh, which is Australian sherry. Um, uh, it wasn't until 2011 that it stopped being called Australian sherry. Quite rightly, as you know, sherry should be made in in Hareth, but um, uh, mainly because I guess whiskey had always been aged in fortified wine barrels. So. Right. They we sort of that. knew that would, mm-hmm. knew that would work, and it's you know it's Australian wine wine barrels, but I think always from from day one he wanted to explore, he wanted to experiment, uh, uh, and really push the boundaries mm-hmm. of of what whiskey can be, and always had in his mind that you know when you talk to people about Australian wine, nobody says 
our Perro. Right. <laughs> Everybody says Shiraz, right? right? Everybody says, you know, big Australian red wines. Um, so I think that's always where he was uh, thinking of, uh, of taking the business. It's certainly the, the future of the business now. That's what we're going to be uh, focusing on a lot more because unfortunately, a bit like everywhere else in the world, not enough people are drinking enough sherry as well. So these Apera barrels are becoming harder for us to source. So that certainly plays a part. But uh, yeah, big Australian reds are quite iconic. Uh, and we thought, you know, if we can use these iconic barrels, um, hopefully, you know, we, we can make a pretty iconic whiskey with it as well. Because mm. it could have all gone terribly wrong. <laughs> it takes a long time to make a whiskey. It's not like your gin, you know, it's not like tomorrow you can have it and taste it. You know, you could have, it could have overpowered it. It could have, there could have been a billion things that went wrong. You know, uh, how long yeah. into the process did they think, did you guys think, you know, we're into something that's working. Yeah, this well, is going to be good. I mean, we're because of the way we um, age the whiskies as well. So we use a, a, a take on a, a Solera aging system. So we put our new making mm -hmm. uh, spirit into the barrels, and um, Melbourne has a very uh, unique climate in within Australia. It's famous for having four seasons in a day. So we get massive temperature swings up to twelve and a half degrees um, uh, just within a twenty-four hour period. So that means that the spirit is constantly expanding and contracting in and out of the wood and we get a lot more interaction with the wood over a shorter period of time mm -hmm. than you would do um, somewhere with a more more level climate but that also means that you know it's, it's vital that the guys are going around doing their uh, taste analysis um uh on a on a daily basis checking mm -hmm. uh, checking how the, how the barrels are going and I remember david saying to me when i was over there that when he originally sourced these Shiraz barrels, um, originally from the guys at Yolumba up in the uh, Barossa Valley, um, as the, as the trial for what became our our wine cask and will uh, mm -hmm. become Nova next year, you know the guys put the new make in, and they were trying it and trying it, and is this going to work? Is this going to work? And uh, yeah, he said he remembers the day when uh, the guys looked and went, "It's okay, mate. It's That's good. It, yeah, it's good. It's going to be good because." Yeah, um, you know, I'm sure you'll, uh, you'll 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 speak to David when next time he's over. But uh, he's certainly got some stories about how it was uh, certainly not not all plain sailing setting up a whiskey business. That's for sure, uh -huh. and um, that's why we launched our 10th anniversary uh, bottling as well. Which uh, I think there's still a couple of bottles of that available. But you know, it was a celebration of the fact that um, Starwood hadn't gone under in 10 years because it's yeah certainly not smooth sailing um, opening a, a whiskey distillery. When did they think, okay, we think we have an award-winning product. We're, this, this is it, you know? Well, Do you think it was from the first, you know, yeah. the, the first expression of it? You know, this is, this is exactly what I wanted to make, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, we're always pushing ourselves, and uh, you know, I think that the team are always striving to uh, to do better. So I'm not sure they'd ever say that this is, uh, mm -hmm. you know. The, 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 well, you started winning but, awards, you know. Yeah, well, huge. I mean, you know, David said to me when I started, he said, you know, the question isn't whether we can make great whiskey. We know we can do that. Mm -hmm. um, look at the Tasmanian whiskies that, that that are out there. They've already been winning incredible awards. Mm -hmm. So he got the right people in place. He got the right team in place to, to, to come in. Um, so I don't think he was ever really that worried about the quality of the whiskey. Mm -hmm. He always knew he could make something great. It was whether or not we could get people to drink Australian right. whiskey and get the whiskey out there and, uh, and take it to the world with pride. I mean, he, sh he showed me the business plan that he wrote back in uh, 2007 and you know, said, I, I want to create a distinctly Australian whiskey that we can take to the world with pride. And mm -hmm. uh, under that was, you know, we want Starwood to be on every self-respecting back bar in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's the challenge rather than 
necessarily making a great whiskey. And but, I guess that's your job is uh, yeah, to absolutely. tell that story. No pressure. Yeah. So have you had people who said, oh, no, no, Australian whiskey, I'm sorry, get out of here? Or have they pretty, you know, hey, come on, I want to try this. And It's been, you know, you know absolutely the best brand I've ever worked on in terms of reaction from people. Um, as soon as people hear the story, as soon as people try the product, they're sold. So it's just that question of getting in front of the right people, telling them the story and get them to uh, to, to try the liquid. I've, I've been going around to a lot of consumer shows uh, this year, um, with the guys at the Whiskey Lounge, um, everything from some Liverpool down to, down to London. And, you know, you definitely get people walking past with a bit of a look on their face. Australian whiskey, are, are you sure? Come in, my friend, listen to our story. And, uh, you know, by the time they, they've walked away, um, they feel that they've learned something about about how how whiskey's uh, how whiskey's made because we have to tell that story about local produce about local barrels because it's such uh, a, a crucial thing uh, about Starwood as a brand and actually a lot of uh, uh, drinkers don't realise some of these things about you know how bourbon barrels are, uh, mm-hmm. tend to be used for whiskey uh, so they walk away yeah um, feeling that they've they've learned something about uh, about whiskey and yeah enjoying the liquid as well so should we go try some absolutely okay yeah. I can't wait. After we shared more than a thimbleful, I decided to make sure you got an explanation of each of the expressions we tried, so you can decide for yourself which one to start with. Uh, why don't you tell me about like each of the products that you have and like what you should experience when you're drinking them? Absolutely. So we started with our uh, Solera, which was uh, launched back in, in 2013, which is um, aged in what's called apera casks nobody knows what apera is apera is just australian sherry um it was labeled as australian sherry up until about 2011 when uh, quite rightly um uh, they were told they can't call it sherry anymore but isn't um, it shortened for aperitivo absolutely yeah, yeah exactly I'd, I'd have liked to have been in that marketing meeting of, of who decided that the, the, the name was going to be like okay we need it really now yeah. we need it. okay aperitivo apera there it is <laughs> exactly exactly but yeah australian style sherry so uh-huh. yeah same grapes same process um and some of these you know, beautiful old barrels uh, have been in these wine uh, wineries for decades uh, using this to, to be um, maturing this fortified wine. Uh, so we're lucky enough to have sourced these barrels, which we then uh, recouper into uh, different sizes mm-hmm. uh, and we rechar the barrels as well uh, to get different flavors of the different sizes of the barrels. Um, pop our new make spirit in there. Um, and our new make is made from, uh, as I mentioned earlier, 100% Australian malted barley. Um, which we can source within a, a day's drive of the distillery in Melbourne. Um, and we use our own uh, blend of uh, brewer's yeast with some distiller's yeast um, during the fermentation process to create our, our new make, which is um, more like a, a quite fruit-forward eau de vie style of new make rather than uh, sort of a, a heavier style that you might get in, in some Scottish whiskies. So we've always been a, a, a fruit-driven whisky. Um, and when we pop that new make into the wine barrels, obviously that then emphasizes the, um, uh, the, the fruit um, style of, uh, of the whiskey. And the Melbourne climate uh, is, a, is a big part of, of, um, of what Starwood becomes because it's famous for having its four seasons in a day. Um, temperature swings, a very variable climate, which uh, really forces the new make um, to interact with the wood a lot more over a shorter period of time than it would do in a, in a more temperate climate. So that 
drags all of these beautiful Australian wine notes right out of the uh, the wood and into the whiskey. So with the Solera, because we rechar the barrels as well, you get some of the caramelization of those sugars in the wood. So um, you definitely get a, a bit of a creme brulee note to the whiskey. Uh, for me, I get a lot of uh, orchard fruits, a, a little bit of banana, which actually comes through in, in both of the whiskies for me, because that comes from the, the, the strain of brewer's yeast that we use uh, to make our new make spirit. So that's almost a bit of a, a signature style in, in both of the whiskies. Um, whereas with our, our wine cask, which will be um, called Nova as of next year, but our, our wine cask expression, where we originally sourced some Shiraz barrels from the guys at Yolumba up in Barossa Valley. We now have um, a range of, uh, of wine barrels from, from all over um, South Australia, but predominantly Shiraz barrels is, uh, is what we use, first fill Shiraz. And we're looking very much for that signature Australian red wine note that comes mm-hmm. through in the whiskey. Uh, and unlike the, um, the Apera barrels, which we recouper and rechar with the wine cask barrels, we do as little as possible to those at all, minimum intervention. So they've had red wine in them the day before, disgorged with red wine. They get sent to us overnight if possible. Uh, We might steam them to clean them up a little bit when they get to the distillery. But other than that, our new make spirit goes straight in there when the wood is still soaked with red wine. So when the Melbourne climate does its thing and the spirit interacts with the wood going in and out of the barrel, uh, it, it pulls all of that gorgeous Shiraz, all of that gorgeous red wine notes right out of the uh, of the wood and into the whiskey. So um, on that expression, you can really see it in the in the color of the whiskey. It's got a gorgeous rose gold color almost to it. And uh, obviously, all whiskey gets its its color from the wood, but our whiskey gets a, a lot of its color from the wine that was previously in the wood as well. Um, and on the nose, uh, there it's just a lot of red berries um, and a little bit of that, uh, of that spice that you'd expect from a big Australian Shiraz, but that's sort of mellowed out a little bit in the uh, in the whiskey barrels it's interesting to see how that uh, that affects it and you have one now that's with american oak yes right? we've just just launched uh um our You've bourbon cask expression <laughs> absolutely absolutely well the guys have a lot of fun in the distillery you know i mean you know have to get you get you out there at some stage uh we have what's called our uh, our new world projects releases um so that might be anything from uh, different barrels. So um, you know, we've got single fill Shiraz casks, obviously, and uh, um, single fill Cognac PX Sherry that, that, that they uh, um, put in there as well. We have some um, jackets on our stills so they can play around with, uh, w- w- with different styles of, of actually during the distillation process as well. Um, but yeah, we've just just launched the, the bourbon cask release, which I think we're getting 16 cases of in the UK. So it's certainly uh, um, uh, a, a privilege to, to be able to drink that one and, and try it. It'll Very be a hot product. I'll have to try that. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll have a tasting session. <laughs> Good. It was great to have Pete on the show. He left me with a bottle of their new product, the new old fashioned, distinctly Australian as well. We're big believers in, in whiskey having its place at the dinner table and encouraging people to, to drink more whiskey with food. And, uh, you know, sometimes if you just take a bottle of whiskey along to a dinner party, people people look at you a little bit funny. Um, but actually, you know, if you can bring on a, a, a nice bottle of old fashioned, then uh, it goes down a, a, a pretty well. Um, so, yeah, we, we wanted to make a again, a distinctly Australian uh, take on it. So we use our own uh, wattled seed bitters um, to create our bottled old fashioned, which is a bit of a, a lighter style of old fashioned, um, but beautiful to uh, have on a nice sunny day with a with a barbecue or, you know, uh, on a nice winter's day as well, goes down, goes down very well. But uh, 
we start with putting their name onto a bottle cocktail. Um, just shows how confident we are in uh, in the product because in Australia, obviously, we're a, we're a pretty pretty big brand there. So when people see that you know Starwood have uh, brought out a, a bottle cocktail, they'll uh, they'll come and have it. Because in in the UK, it's slightly different. There's been some hits and misses. I think it's fair to say with uh, with the bottle cocktail world. So we weren't actually sure whether to to bring it over initially, um, but. It sold so well over in Australia that we thought, you know what, we've we've got to bring it over and and do it. And I was just at the Leicester Whiskey Festival last weekend, and we sold out of it there when when consumers were trying it. So, uh, yeah, like you say, it's um, it's one of the most uh, popular uh, whiskey drinks. It's one of the most popular cocktails in general. It's uh, uh, been the best-selling cocktail four years in a row. So, um, for us to uh, bring out our own version is is pretty exciting. You can find this in my shop at alushlifemanual.com backslash shop. Since you can buy their old-fashioned already made, I thought I would have a different cocktail as my cocktail of the week. Our cocktail of the week is the Max Sly Grog. There's a little history lesson of Melbourne in this one. It's a cherry ripe riff on the Manhattan, inspired by the Borough of Fitzroy in its bygone days when gangsters slung under-the-table grog and the McRobertson's Chocolate Factory dealt out their sweet goods from Car Street. Stir all the following ingredients over cubed ice in a mixing glass. 40 ml of Starward wine cask, 15 ml of Belsazar red vermouth, 10 ml of Jack Rudy cherry, 5 ml of Mr. Black's coffee amaro, two dashes of cacao and macadamia bitters, and two dashes of Angostura bitters. Strain into a Nicanor glass, then spritz an orange zest over the top and then discard, and then finish it off with a cherry. You'll find this recipe and all the cocktails of the week on alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. Can you believe that next time will be my 100th episode? I truly cannot. I have you to thank for supporting Lush Life Podcast and alushlifemanual.com. As a huge fan of the reunion show format, I thought I would meet up with a few of my former guests to see what they've been up to since we last had a chat. I'll be sitting down with Tom Soden, Fabiano Latham, Anna Sebastian, and a few others. Catch up on where they were by listening to the past episodes and drop in next time to see where they are now. Until next time, bottoms up. Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast, the sister of a Lush Life Manual. For more information and links to everything you heard, plus a bit more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde. All things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra. And I'm your hostess, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar.